Welcome to the IdaLink podcast. I'm JL Corbett, the editor and founder of IdaLink, an online magazine that publishes the weird, the odd, the curious, anything that's a little bit strange. On this podcast, I'll be talking to some writers that I've published in the past and getting to know them as people, not just as writers. My guest today is Molly Andrea Ryan. Molly is a poet and prose writer from Pittsburgh in the USA whose work centres upon girlhood, womanhood, mental health and hauntings of all sorts. Her stories are difficult to place into one genre, however they all share the theme of hope and the female experience. Her short story Idle Hands appeared in Idolink in August 2022. So thank you so much for being on the podcast, Molly. Thank you for having me. No, of course. I'm always really excited to talk to people kind of face-to-face that I've published in the past. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been doing this thing with with the previous guests where I've been starting off every episode by kind of telling them what my impression is of them as a writer and seeing if I get it anywhere close to right. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Awesome. So my impression of you is, so I've read a few of your stories um, and they all seem to be very sort of thoughtful, introspective. Um, The words, the language that you use, it feels really honest and real. So I kind of feel like maybe your stories are influenced by your own experiences, perhaps. Um, And I also suspect that you're a feminist. Um, Yes. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) So is that anywhere close to being right? I would say so. Yeah, especially, I mean, in terms of introspective, it's funny. I think that is kind of the place where I like to linger the most with my writing almost to my own detriment when it's time to kind of forward a plot that's where I get a little like they have to do things now and not just (laughs) be with themselves and and exist and reflect um but yeah I do think you know it certainly is influenced by my own experiences um you know mental health is a big thing for me something that is on my mind often and you know I'm in therapy and so those kinds of ideas are always kind of bouncing around in my head like you know how do we feel more joy how Mm -hmm. do we find meaning that kind of thing and so that definitely is something I use writing to explore yeah it really does come across and like you say with um kind of that sense of realizing oh my god I have to push the plot forward now (laughs) like I find it so much fun like creating characters and just kind of creating them as a person that when the plot part comes in I'm like oh this is actually quite difficult (laughs) yes yeah yeah that's that's something that I'm still still working on yeah it's a work in progress (laughs) So when we were kind of like organizing this episode, you mentioned that you might want to talk about the idea of writing to find meaning. Mm -hmm. So I'm afraid that means we're going to start off with a really heavy, broad question. (laughs) (laughs) How does one write to find meaning? You know, I think for me, 
I just, that is something as we've already kind of mentioned here, that, that, that really forwards my writing. That is kind of what I use it for, I guess, um, in that kind of selfish way of what we're doing as writers. Um, I just think when I come to the page, it just feels like an opportunity, especially writing fiction where you get to, you know, you're, you're in control of, of what your characters are doing and feeling and and thinking. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just an opportunity to kind of dwell on our beliefs and kind of test them out, um, challenge ourselves, um, you know, play them out, kind of see like, what does it look like when someone kind of lives by this or, or is struggling with this or, or what have you. Um, And so, yeah, I think it's not, that's not to say that every time I sit down, I immediately know like, what is the big question (laughs) that I'm asking here, but it does come out usually if, you know, if the piece is successful, I usually realize eventually like, oh, this is what is coming to mind for me. And so I think, you know, it's like the big, the big question, I suppose, is kind of, you know, what is the meaning of life? And I don't really dabble too much with that one because it's too big, but, you know, kind of variations of that, like, um, you know, I'm often preoccupied with questions like, you know, how well can we really know each other? Um, you know, are we existing in sort of an objective reality together or are we bringing our own subjective subjectivity, our experiences and our feelings and perceptions to our reality in a way that kind of inhibits like a, a one for one hundred percent connection, um, which I mean, those sound like really, I don't know kind of dire questions or or sad questions, but I don't feel sad thinking about them. It just makes me curious. Um, And so that's, I mean, the curiosity bit is a big part of it too. It's just like, what, what am I curious about and how can I put that on the page? And, you know, what do I learn about myself in the process? So you really do get quite existential with it then, like (laughs) this whole, is it our objective reality or... Yeah, I do feel like, I don't know, I think existentialism in general, it's sort of the only thing that's ever, I don't know, made made sense to me or made me feel sort of comfortable, satisfied with like, okay, there's a, there's a reason, you know, that we're here. It's just kind of yeah. up to us to, to find it and, and um, you know, kind of continue to put it to the test. And it's interesting, like, that is writing for me. And then that's also writing is where I kind of explore these things. And so it's just like this kind of a feedback loop, you know? Yeah. Um, Never ending cycle. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a really interesting idea because when you mentioned it as a topic, I hadn't really given it too much thought before, which sounds bizarre because I am a writer. Um, (laughs) But I think because the kind of stuff I write, it's, it's not really that ex- existential. It's kind of like kitschy sci-fi, whatever. Um, but the more I thought about it, um, I thought I have written to find meaning in the past. I mean, like when I was a teenager, I used to keep a diary every day and it wasn't so much me writing about what had happened that day. It was just me trying to work through like whatever kind of angsty hormonal (laughs) teenage feeling I was experiencing so I think this idea of writing to find meaning it can mean so many different things Mm -hmm. like you say it can be these big universal questions who are we why are we here but Mm -hmm. also it can just be 
really introspective things like who am I why am I feeling this way well that's I think it's like a really because I also I still keep a journal that honestly sounds exactly like the one you're describing (laughs) you were a teenager like I'm not really writing and I mean this maybe this is why I struggle with plot I'm not writing about like (laughs) yesterday I did this it's like I feel this way and I need to understand why you know yeah (laughs) um so yeah I just think I think when it comes to fiction writing which is really where I've kind of dwelled the longest I have dabbled in um you know creative nonfiction sort of unsuccessfully um and I do enjoy writing poetry but fiction is definitely I think what I have the most experience with and I just think it's such a playful opportunity to engage with questions that can otherwise feel um daunting or overwhelming um when we're trying to apply them to our own lives Mm. Uh, and I'm always looking for an opportunity for you know play playfulness it's just a good a good part of life, I think. Yeah, I really do get that sense from reading your work because I think <laughs> <laughs> because I think when you're kind of wrangling with these big questions, it can get very serious very quickly. And I mean, life isn't serious. So yeah. I really enjoy as a reader, I really enjoy reading stories that are a bit sort of not taking themselves too seriously and yes there's moments of um of sad things or or mulling over these big questions but then there's always a sort of a little light relief to remind us that life is funny and life is um it it will play tricks on you (laughs) yeah so I do really enjoy that style I I think I never thought of myself as like certainly not a, a comedy writer but there are times where mm. I go back to things and realize like oh yeah I did kind of throw some humor in here and I think it is a way to um as you've said like like kind of break it up make it a little mm. less serious. And I think that that's important to me because I want to invite other people to to ask these questions and, and feel sort of comfortable with that discomfort um and I do think it requires a little bit of humor a little bit of lightheartedness mm. Oh, definitely. And I know you you mentioned that obviously primarily you're a fiction writer, but you mentioned that that you had done a bit of creative nonfiction. Have you had any of that stuff published or is it just the poetry and fiction for you? Just the poetry and fiction. I have sort of these self-published, I don't even know what you would call them. It's like somewhere in between research and and creative nonfiction. it's just kind of self-published because I was like, I don't even know what to do with this. And I'm just kind of <laughs> writing. It's like very self-serving, you know, yeah. um, I'm just sort of like writing it because it's something that interests me or I'm playing around with these ideas. And, um, but yeah, I, I have not published, um, you know, in the traditional sense, any creative nonfiction. And I don't know, I just, when I, when I was getting, you know, a creative writing minor in undergrad and taking creative nonfiction classes. I loved it. I think, you know, it's such a fantastic genre. Um, and there's, you know, so much that you can do with it, but I just, mm-hmm. I don't know. I sort of freeze up, um, when I'm working yeah. on nonfiction. So fiction is definitely. Yeah. My I, <laughs> mine too, honestly. And I think creative nonfiction, I love reading it. Um, mm-hmm. but the idea of publishing anything like that, it's so terrifying because you have to put yourself in such a vulnerable position um, 
and I hadn't really no distance yeah exactly like uh, with with fiction it's the characters who are <laughs> who yes. are experiencing these things whereas with creative non-fiction I mean your name is right there attached to it yes it's almost like letting people read your diary in a sense mm-hmm. yeah I definitely I mean I have so much respect for creative nonfiction writers because it is so vulnerable and it requires so much, you know, um, self-assurance and, and bravery Mm. that, um, it's not that I don't think I have those things. I just, I don't know. I'm like, I like the distance. I like, you know, making up my characters and occasionally infusing them with, with, um, my own experiences or thoughts, but not having to claim them as my own. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly it. It takes away the mystery of, Mm. oh, is this her actual experience or is it not? Um, I mean, I hadn't actually written any creative nonfiction until a few months ago. And somehow, I didn't intend to do this, but I seem to have started writing like a collection of personal essays. Nice. And it's been so fun to do and like weirdly cathartic. Yeah. But I'll never be able to publish it <laughs> because I don't want anyone to read it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that vulnerability. Yes. So, I know you said, obviously, you you kind of funnel that through fiction. So do you think it's a case of like your actual life experiences are influencing your plots or is it just kind of the characters? It's kind of a mixture. Um, I think oftentimes, you know, when I when I first start writing a story, I do end up starting with like a specific image or, um, you know, just something that that struck me that I did witness or did experience. And it just kind of goes from there. And it's somewhere in the going from there that I start to figure out, you know, what is different about these, you know, these characters or the situation than my actual experience. And also what are the big questions that I'm asking here? Um, but I do find when I write and don't ever infuse any of my own experiences or thoughts or you know I'm a big eavesdropper so even just things that I've (laughs) I've overheard or something that struck me there for me the writing starts to feel a little bit distanced from itself and not in that good way that we were talking about like Mm -hmm. it feels a little bit um I don't know just stiff or it's lacking that kind of um you know human touch and so I I do to strike a balance because then I've noticed too if I go too far in the other direction um almost in the direction of like auto fiction I get so caught up and like but this is what happened that I'm (laughs) making these kind of like poor narrative choices yeah it's like this person was involved they have to be a character in the story and it's like yeah but in terms of the story you know life doesn't necessarily move thematically or in a a compelling way and so if I get too caught up I mean once again props to creative nonfiction writers because I don't I guess I don't know how to make my own lived experiences as interesting (laughs) as I would like (laughs) them to be Um, yeah but yeah so it's definitely um, you know I try to strike a balance yeah, so it sounds like your own experiences are kind of a jumping off point um, yeah. rather than like an actual basis for the story. Yeah, usually, usually. Or there's some element that is going to kind of keep popping up that 
is, you know, part of my, my lived experience, but it's mm. not, I just have to allow room for deviation um, mm. to really kind of dig into it in a way that's hopefully successful. <laughs> hopefully. hopefully. So how long have you actually been writing for? Um, I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm one of those people that it's like, you know, I started writing when I was a kid, yeah. um, but you know, certainly not in any way that's serious or that I would want to put my name on now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I did, I did start writing when I was, when I was young. Um, we moved a lot. My dad was in the military. And so, um, I don't know, I was just, I was reading all the time. My mom also was, you know, always encouraging a lot of reading. She read to me, my brother read to me. So, um, you know, fiction just became very much a safe place, mm -hmm. a fun place, um, somewhere that I could go in those summers where I didn't know anyone yet, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so it just felt natural to me to start kind of writing it. And then I did, um, in college and undergrad, I was an English major with a creative writing minor. And I think that's when I started, you know, kind of thinking more seriously about writing. Once again, it's like the stuff I wrote then I wouldn't necessarily want to put my name on now, but, um, you know, I can see that that's where I was starting to kind of figure out like, you know, what, what is my voice and what do I want to be, um, writing about? And then, um, yeah, I think really the past few years, um, cause I did go to grad school, um, in 2018, just not for an MFA, but um, for literature. Mm. And that was, you know, a very busy time. And so it was sort of after that, that I was like, I feel like I have the the mental space and energy to start writing again. And it just kind of was like, poof, like hit the ground running. Um, so yeah, I guess probably the last like three years has been when I've really like dug into it. Yeah. Sort of like the writing for publication phase yes. of your life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I found it because I went to uni a very long time ago now. And um, it's such a full on experience that I didn't I don't think I wrote at all when I was yeah. at uni. I mean, I didn't I I didn't even study anything remotely related to writing. So I was just completely caught up in this whole like mess of dissertations and research and all of that it was only when I kind of came out of that cloud after graduation where I was like oh yeah I enjoy writing maybe I'll yeah. start doing that again <laughs> yeah yeah I feel like I mean even like school work all of those things it's just, it's just so hard to strike a balance yeah um, and that's why I actually for two years after undergrad I worked um, at a grocery store chain, Trader Joe's. Um, I don't think that you guys have have Trader Joe's, but it's like I don't think so. I've heard of it. Very though. popular over yeah. here. Um, <laughs> every time I tell people I worked there, they're like, "Oh my god, I love Trader Joe's." Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I was working there for two years, and it, you would think that kind of job where it's not like you know, it's not like school where you're doing all this research and all this reading, and so your brain is sort of fried. But I was still fried. Um, you know, just it's a lot of social interaction and a lot of physical work. And so, you know, it was even then it was difficult to kind of find that time and that energy um, to, to really to really write. So it is hard. It's hard to. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that, actually, because I had a weirdly similar experience where after I graduated, I was well, I was working at this place called The Range, which I don't think you guys have 
it's right yeah I don't think so <laughs> no it it's like um it's like a home and leisure store it it's retail it's like the cheapest of the cheap stuff yeah <laughs> so I was working kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I was working there for a couple of years after I graduated and like you say it's not taxing on your brain whatsoever but it's just talking to people all day long all day. and mm-hmm. being on your feet all day long so I was writing at that time because I remember talking to people that I was working with about trying to get stuff published. But I think the reason I struggled so much to get published at that point was because I was just burnt out. It's so hard to produce good work when you just want to get home and sleep every day. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think, I mean, I was trying when I worked at this grocery store, I was sort of trying to write like before and after work, but it was just, I definitely wasn't producing, um, you know, my best work because I just didn't, didn't have it in me to really dig in. So um. yeah, I'm still trying to get that work-life balance. I mean, I have a a much nicer job now. I just sit at a computer, so I'm not quite (laughs) as burnt out as I was back then. At a computer. (laughs) (laughs) So it's easier to write and to like do all this idle link stuff as well. But it's really difficult to kind of get that balance of doing all the creative stuff and also working 40 hours a week at a job and also not neglecting my husband or my friends <laughs> right <laughs> yes yeah the trying to find time to actually like live your life yeah <laughs> what's that like <laughs> right well that's what it's funny like there are times where I know like I just want to be you know on our weekends or whatever I just want to be working on my writing and then I start to feel that kind of like I'm hitting a wall but I just want to this is the time I should do it it's like at some point you have to kind of be like you know I need to go live so I have something to bring to the page you know exactly <laughs> I really it with you mentioning that I um really struggled to write good stuff over the pandemic as well because I just wasn't going anywhere or doing anything so everything I wrote was just sort of vaguely pandemic themed like oh doesn't it suck being indoors for two years (laughs) and not being able to do anything yeah and since I know we're we're still sort of under the cloud of covid but Mm -hmm now that we're not locked down all the time I found that a bit of my creativity has come back because mm-hmm. I'm actually able to get out the house and do things again yeah yeah it's definitely nice to just because I know I mean I, I feel like even with these you know the big questions that are informing my writing like I can stay in that headspace for far longer than I should where it's just like very conceptual it's like you know the hamster is running a little too fast on the wheel um, and then I'm just totally totally fried and so it's like you know the times that we have gone you know to a coffee shop or to the movies or something afterwards I'm like thank god you know like I just yeah. needed time to not be so in my own head um, and it is you know it's refreshing and I think you know inspiring in a way mm. that just in your own in your own home in your own head um is, yeah we all need that time to just get out and just disengage from writing or thinking about writing or reading yeah. yes <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so I was looking at your website, um, which I really like, by the way. There was oh, this page, <laughs> there was this page. I think it was called Obsessions. Yes. Where, yeah. Yeah. Where you just sort of um, talk about you and your life as a whole, which I thought was lovely because. I've been on a lot of writers' websites and a lot of people fall into this habit of they'll have an about page and it will just be like a list of their publications, which Mm -hmm. is good to have, but it doesn't really tell us about them as a writer. Whereas you're talking about your friends and your cat and your uni that you went to. (laughs) And I thought this, I feel like I know who she is now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do like to have that, you know, opportunity for connection just kind of yeah. like you know we all want to know the the people behind the curtain I guess yeah well yeah. I think that's the point of having a website as a writer is to kind of show us who you are um but the thing that leapt out with for me was so on your website you talk about this struggle of um wanting to write for publication or becoming preoccupied with writing things that you think people would want to read as opposed to the things that you actually want to write about um and there was actually a quote I related to it so hard that it pretty much triggered me (laughs) (laughs) oh no (laughs) (laughs) the quote was there's this part of my brain that keeps saying don't write unless someone else will publish it um and I'm guilty of that same thought process so how do you kind of deal with that push and pull it's funny I was I was thinking about that and it's like you know I do think that feeling of you know don't write unless someone will publish it um it's sort of a secondary reaction and I think the primary reaction really is just self-doubt um and I think when I get into that headspace, and I, I'm I'm happy to say it's not as frequent now as you know a few years ago when I was first trying to get published, but mm-hmm. it certainly still comes up because you know, I mean, anyone who's who's submitting stuff knows that for every one accepted piece, you've probably got like 20 rejections behind yeah. you. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of rejection, and I think generally I'm pretty good at just letting that kind of roll off, um, not taking it personally, not, not thinking like, oh, this is a reflection of my, um, my skills, my ability. Um, but you know, when it's, when it's, you know, I like to say like, once I'm the mayor of rejection city, like once I've just been getting (laughs) so many rejections with no, you know, no break in between, no acceptance in between, that is when I can start to get into this, um, you know, headspace of self-doubt, And I mean, I think the first thing I try to remember is that trying to write things that will be published, that people will want to read, it's sort of a fool's errand because we have no idea, you know, you know, certainly um, as an editor that it's so subjective what people want, what they're looking for, for, you know, the theme of their publication or what, you know, what speaks well to other pieces that they've already accepted, but also just you know, their taste, did it speak to them or not? It doesn't necessarily mean it won't speak to anyone, um, but maybe it just didn't speak to them. And so, you know, it's just, it's like impossible to even try to think, you know, what what would be published right now? Um, but at the same time, I mean, I think going beyond that, it's like, I just have to remember, yes, I want things to be published. I want this to be successful. I do. I mean, I, I want 
people to interact with my work and, you know, to, to touch people in some way. Um, you know, I think that's sort of a valid thing to want. I think a lot of us do, but you know, what brought us to that place in the first place is a love of writing. Um, and I do know, you know, the, the, the first audience that I have that I need to impress is me. And I think when I kind of come back to that place of, you know, I'm just, I'm just here with myself right now at the page. I, that's, that's the only person I'm kind of speaking to in this moment. And then of course you can go on to workshop or, mm-hmm. you know, send things to friends and see what they think. But, you know, ultimately you are your first audience and, you know, sort of your most important audience. I know a lot of people would not agree with that, um, but it's something that sort of soothes me. So I kind of stick with it. Just, you know, I am my most important audience I am writing to fulfill sort of my own curiosity or, or, you know, kind of, I don't know, engage with my own curiosity. Um, And so most importantly, I need to be happy with how this is going, you know, how I feel while I'm writing and then how I feel once I think a piece is done. Um, And I think when I can stay in that headspace, if I can really hone it, that's when I'm writing my best work. Yeah. And so, you know, acceptances may follow. Um, but it is hard. I mean, again, when you're the mayor of Rejection City, it's like, what am I doing wrong? You know, like how do I how do I get out of this this horrible place? Yeah. I mean, honestly, as an editor, uh, I mean, I hate having to send out decline emails um because I I've gotten so many of them as a writer and I think I've become pretty hardened to getting my own work decline now because I've been doing it for so long but I still hate um passing on people's work but honestly most of the time it isn't a reflection on them as a writer or um it's not that the story was bad um, a lot of the poetry, for example, that gets sent for Ida Link, it's um, it's it's just not right for for us. It's it's more sort of literary, whereas Ida Link skews towards genre fiction. So the great poems, and they'll probably go on to get published somewhere else, but yeah. it, it's just not right for this specific publication. So I I know it's difficult speaking as a writer not to kind of tether yourself to your craft almost Mm. and take it personally but I think looking at it from the other side of the laptop screen it's usually not a reflection on them as a writer at all it's just the nature of the business unfortunately yeah I think I I don't think it's that surprising that we all fall into this trap of wanting to write to get published because I don't know about you but whenever I say to someone oh I'm a writer the first thing they always ask is have you had anything published or Mm -hmm. would I know any of your work right an intimidating question because really what they're asking is how successful are you (laughs) right right well that's I mean I think even just this this the push and pull of, you know, writing for the joy of writing versus, you know, feeling kind of bogged down by uh, wanting to be published and, and, you know, having things rejected and all of that. It does feel like very much part of 
you know, the, the capitalist structure that we've kind yeah. of been brought up in. And I think that's something that I'm, I am definitely trying to kind of like a, a mindset I'm trying to separate myself from step out mm-hmm. of um, because, you know, I, I don't, when you're, when, when someone's asking, you know, oh, well, have you been published? Um, you know, would I, would I know your work? Uh, it's like, they are, they're trying to measure your success in a way that, um, doesn't feel true to art mm-hmm. until we impose that structure on it. And I just think, I don't know, there's not a lot of joy to be found in only striving for milestones. I feel like you have to stay, you know, with yourself in that moment of of creation if you want to experience that joy. But it's hard. I mean, when when we've been kind of indoctrinated into this, these metrics of success, it's it's hard to um you know, not kind of fall back into that, that habit or those, those thoughts. It's this whole sort of hustle culture, I think, where the, the belief out there at the moment is, oh, you've got a hobby, you should monetize that. (laughs) Whereas there's just so much joy to be found in just writing for the hell of it. Yeah, Um, I don't think any of us started writing because we wanted to make money. We just write because... I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I hope not. (laughs) But I think most of us started writing just because we have to, because it's what we do. So, yeah, the... It is difficult because, like you say, you want people to read your work ultimately. But at the same time, if you're just writing to get published, it's the stories aren't going to ring true. They're not going yeah. to feel real. So it is a struggle, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So I thought we could end with a reading of... Um, an excerpt from Idle Hands, which is the story that you had published in Idolink earlier this year. So before you get into it, I'll just give a little bit of context as to why I decided to publish this story. And it's quite simple with this one. It all came down to the fact that it's just really relatable. And um, it is an odd little story, Um <laughs> which sorry i i try not to call stories little i i, I do it by oh, i don't accident. mind it but i understand <laughs> why <laughs> I, it's an odd story um so it, it's the story of this couple they're both searching for purpose um feeling some level of malaise and um they they're trying to sort of fill their days with something that feels right for them and I thought it's so relatable for the time that it got published, which was sort of in the wake of the pandemic, where I think a lot of people probably still are searching for meaning after having been indoors for so long. And um, the the language that you use, it feels very honest. It's not overly ornate or flowery. It's just real. So I remember when I was reading it, for the first time when you submitted it I thought um loads of people are going to relate to this um and they did because it got loads of views and quite a lot of people on social media as well were talking about how much they liked it um and I went back and read it the other day and I was like oh god it's just so good (laughs) (laughs) thank you (laughs) so for you what inspired this story so it's funny you know in terms of that that first image pulled from my my actual life um that the opening scene where there's a cat that's 
pulling a miniature off of a off of a hanging shelf that was actively happening in front of me. Um, my <laughs> my husband does not consistently, but he kind of goes back and forth into this habit of painting miniatures. Um, and we do have a shelf and she does pull them off. And I'm always like, that's not yours. You know, you cannot have that. <laughs> um, and it just kind of went from there. And I think it wasn't really until about halfway through that I realized, you know, what the question was um, with this story. And it is, you know, a matter of, you know, what, when can we just allow ourselves to feel joy and validate that joy, even if it, you know, isn't hitting one of those metrics of success that, you know, we're sort of taught to, to um, seek. Um, And I think, because I sort of had a different ending in mind, I sort of thought they would find some, you know, renew their search for like a bigger purpose or something. And I was starting to get bored. Um, while writing it and realized, you know, why I'm no longer curious, you know, I don't, I don't feel compelled and had to kind of sit with, you know, why that was and, and realized, you know, I don't want them to turn around and, and go back to, you know, these big, big purposes or try to find something big. If this is, if this is something that they're doing that they enjoy, you know, mm. then why can't that just be enough? It's not harming anyone, you know, and it does, you know, it goes on to be sort of a neighborhood endeavor. Um, and I just, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of wanted, wanted to stay in that place and, and, and play out this idea that maybe we are allowed to just, um, you know, revel in, in the things that make us happy. Yeah. I'm so glad that you went with your gut on the ending because the ending is honestly perfect. I don't think it would have hit as hard if you had, gone for this big sort of revelation and they'd gone off to do big things I think it the ending you went with it it honestly was perfect thank you yeah I I definitely I don't think it would have been even close to the same story if I tried to give them an arc so not all (laughs) so um I'll let you take it away then so this is an excerpt from Idle Hands um yeah I'll let you take it away He asked once what she was doing. He didn't listen to the answer, ducking his head beneath the hood of the Camaro, his body a severed thing, feet on the ground, legs, hips, torso, and then nothing, the rest obscured by the car. It was as if he was building himself into the car, as if he was transforming into one of his creations, hellish, otherworldly. The neighborhood kids caught wind quickly, showing up after school in groups of three and four, working like teams of interior decorators, moving this into that room and that into this room. She had made no dolls, and so the only thing to do with the house was reorganize. Her husband watched from the guts of the Camaro as she introduced occupants to the house. First a witch with a tall staff, her floating hair indicating a sort of electric power. Next, a skeleton brandishing a sword at an angle that suggested he was aiming for the knees. Finally, a goblin only a third of the size of the rest, crouched and grinning. The children assigned the goblin the role of a pet. It barked like a dog, and meowed like a cat, and neighed like a horse, and all of these things seemed like logical enough choices to her. Those aren't yours, he said one night over dinner. What aren't? she asked. My miniatures. Well, she said, you'll need to have the same conversation with the cat. Oh, lovely. It's such a good story. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, just to finish off then, do you have anything that you'd want to promote? Um, 
I don't know. I feel like upcoming dates of publications are so scattered. I'm not, I'm not good <laughs> at self-promotion at all. It's sort of a problem. No, um, writers really aren't. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uncomfortable. I just feel, I don't know. I'm like, do I sit here and say like, read my writing? Um, I mean, I guess I should, but <laughs> I think really the only thing it's the, the best way to sort of track what's going on with my writing is to follow me on Twitter. Um, and you know, my handle is the same as my, my full name, Molly and Andrea Ryan. Um, but you're also going to get a lot of just like thoughts about my cats and stuff if you do. So be warned, it's not, um, a strictly professional <laughs> account. So. Yeah, I mean that's what people are on the internet for—is just cats. So yes, you can't yeah. go wrong, really. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think that's us done then. Um, so thank you again for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and, thank um, you so much for having me. Yeah, it's been such an interesting conversation. Um, so yeah, that is us done for today. I'll be back in another week with another idol Inca. Um, but for now, it's goodbye from both of us. So yeah, goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>